0: Welcome to this episode of SDI Encounters, a podcast from SDI, the home of spiritual companionship. I'm Matt Whitney. In this episode, we continue our conversation with Eric a spiritual director and chaplain in Newton, Kansas, who also serves on SDI's coordinating council. In his day-to-day work at a care facility for older adults, Eric regularly encounters people and families wrestling with dying, death, and end of life. I'm so grateful to Eric for his openness and vulnerability in the questions I ask him around this companioning work. What I heard from him were not specifically worded answers to any of my questions, but rather reflection on how he's living out these questions every day. And by doing so, Leans further and further into a place of unknowing. Are you able to name any particular gift or piece of wisdom or takeaway through companioning people who are at end of life? Um, what are some things you have learned through that practice?
1: Mm. I. People in the dying process have taught me um, taught me a great deal about honoring the not knowing. I think early on, especially when I was in uh, pastoring a congregation, I was with people in moments of dying, and and when I did my chaplaincy internship back in seminary years ago, and was in some very intensive dying moments with people. Um, I felt this pressure of, you know, I've got to find the right thing to say. Um, And when the dying person or a family member asks truly open-hearted, a a soulful question, I I need to have an answer ready, because that's what they need. Um, I think I put that pressure on myself. I felt that that was important. And then quickly learned through experiences that, no, that's not what was needed um, or helpful, or that I could even do that. I learned very quickly, like, all my (laughs) presumptive answers and uh, explanations or uh, interpretations of what was unfolding and what was yet to come on the other side of the threshold of death all these things just, as they came out of my mouth, they just felt like they vaporized um, and they weren't the right thing. And something in me knew that it took time to realize, you know, first and foremost, when I'm with someone who's dying and nearing that threshold, what honors them most is a truly loving, attentive presence and somebody who, you know, it sounds cliche, it's used a lot, but, first meets them where they're at and not in a way that tries to move them to where I think they should be. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Um, But instead, you know, if this person, for instance, is having a really painful death emotionally or physically, and they're really struggling, it's not helpful if I approach and begin the engagement or even beyond the beginning of engagement, try to lead them somewhere where I think they should be. Mm -hmm. That's more about me and my own, what I'm comfortable with or desire. Um, But rather to really be open to what is, what is there for them in the moment, because that's where they need to be. That's what they need to be working through and paying attention to. And so my role is to, to companion them to bear witness to that not it's not that can sound overly neutral it's not neutral i'm there in an active way hopefully in a loving and compassionate way but to try to help them gaze at whatever is there with for them right now with a gaze of love and compassion
0: yeah and does that okay so does that compel you in certain situations to to offer encouragements, or I don't know. Uh, I mean, you, I know you, like you have a pretty healthy outlook on on life and death and the rhythms of those things. And you probably encounter some people who maybe don't have that healthy outlook, right? People who are really struggling emotionally yeah. with being at end of life. And I imagine there are, are moments where you feel compelled to to offer something and I I guess a corrective for lack of a better word right just says something like have you considered thinking about this or uh contemplating that just as a way to sort of help somebody maybe get out of an an unhealthy narrative in their in their head yeah this is something that I'm trying to discern too is as a, as an active listener, as someone who's really trying to kind of self empty the, you know, my own ego uh, as a way of being fully present to somebody. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet knowing when it's appropriate to, to sort of speak into somebody's journey and offer something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I do do. I I do that. I'm not sure I, something in me, Back a bit at the word corrective, yeah. Right? Um, because I don't see my role or the role of anyone companioning someone on the dying journey as you know, our role is not to correct someone's journey, that would presume we know what their correct path should be. Um, but in terms of, I, I heard you say, in terms of their frameworks, their ways of maybe understanding things, maybe for instance, maybe they are. And I've had this happen. Um, they're really struggling spiritually because their image of God that that they're, that's operative right now for them is one of a very punitive uh, deity. And they are most worried that when they cross the search hole, breathe their last breath, they will be in hell, to put it bluntly. Because they will not have adequately atoned for sins that they've committed and that's what's kind of gripping them right now and so in that kind of case um, i would first want to really give time if time is available um, to listening to that struggle let them let them name that struggle let them name those places of brokenness that they feel need healing in their life that sin, if that's the, the framework they're using. Um, let them name the kind of God they, are, they feel they are standing before. And really hear that to be sure I'm hearing it clearly, uh, to let them name it. Sometimes I find that just in that process of listening and gazing on that with them, with kind of a loving awareness, something can shift for them. Just by them being able to put it out there and talk it through, things can begin to shift without me trying to interject another framework or another way of understanding things. Um, But no, there are times that after that, I may find ways to kind of gently offer, um, you know, it might be for somebody for whom scripture is really important. I might go to a scripture that offers another way of understanding God's love in this moment. Right. Um, For some people, that might be a meaningful framework. Uh, I might do it perhaps through a prayer that I would offer with them if they want me to pray with them. And I might, through those words of prayer, just offer, offer another kind of way that God's love might be with them. Or I might just say to them, you know, I wonder what it might mean to look at it this way. What does that feel like? Or maybe in their story sharing, there's some little nugget of something that offers a different, that can be a powerful thing. They might speak of a relationship in their life that was deeply loving and merciful or gracious. So I might zero in on that and say, wow, look at that. You experienced such mercy and love through that person. I wonder if that's how God looks at you right now. So yeah, trying to, there are ways I gently try to offer those things and wonder with them. But I really, um, I really try not to be, and I'm sure I transgress, but I, I try not to be controlling with that or proscriptive with that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's really helpful. It's hard. It's agonizing. I mean, when you hear, but it's so natural at the end of life, it's a time where the rug is getting pulled out of, so many, if not really all the things ultimately that we've, um, these frameworks on which we've built our life. Um, Death invites any of us to really face into, into the depth, the ground of who, what we are. um, And in my framework, who, who, and what we are in God. Um, And, that's, that's a deeply, for, for most of us, that, that process of having that rug pulled out. Some, for some people, it unfolds over an extended period. For some people, it happens very quickly. Um, that can be a very disconcerting, uncomfortable, creative, um, wondrous, awful, awe-inspiring place to uh, to, to travel. Um, We all go there.
0: Yeah. If you've been listening to this podcast, you probably have a good sense of what it means to be on the spiritual journey. If you're curious about this, well, do you ever ask yourself questions around the meaning of life? What is the meaning of your life? Do you know yourself in your truest and fullest sense? Why are you here on this earth? What do you have to offer to the world? How can you be and sit with the inevitable pain, loss and difficulty that beset us all at times? These are really deep questions and spiritual companions go to work every day, listening, asking questions and offering compassion to help people like you find your own answers, workable answers, answers that are personal and practical, that build inner strength and equanimity. A spiritual companion listens to and honors without judgment your unique spiritual journey. Spiritual companions help each person find balance in the adventure of their lives and practice compassion with all whom they encounter. SDI is the home of spiritual companionship, and we believe everyone should have a spiritual companion. If you're interested in finding a spiritual companion, please check out our resource on our website, The Seek and Find Guide, a database of over 7,000 spiritual directors, chaplains, and life coaches from around the world who are available to companion with you on your own spiritual journey. The Seek and Find Guide is available on our website, sdiworld.org. Support for this week's podcast comes from SDI's upcoming Contemplative Writing Retreat, which we are calling Writing at the Edge of the World, happening June 15th through June 19th, 2020, on beautiful Orcas Island in Washington State, USA. Led by award-winning writer Tanya Cassell and NEA fellow and Zen teacher Sean Murphy, this retreat is designed to meet you wherever you are on your creative journey. You'll leave the retreat with a notebook full of writing and a fresh set of tools to invigorate your creative voice. Learn more on our homepage, sdiworld.org, and you'll find the writer's workshop in the homepage slider. And now here's part 2 of our conversation. Yes, I remember something you said in your webinar. It was like, it's 2019 and the mortality rate of humans is still 100%. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good line. Uh, and yet, like in our in our culture we we rarely think about it, right? At least, you know, those of us who are still relatively healthy and young. I remember coming across uh, few years ago, The Cloud of Unknowing, which is uh, an anonymous writer from the Middle Ages, wrote about the contemplative life and uh, through devotions. I remember coming across something where this writer asked the reader to contemplate their own death. And I remember really recoiling at that, you know, feeling like, ugh, like that's that's morbid. (laughs) I don't wanna do that literally Marvel. yeah and and since then I've, I've grown a little more accustomed to the that notion you know just being around us being around you and sdi and and others uh how do you understand relationship with death as as somebody who is alive or is not like face on the precipice of it right i mean we might all be on the precipice of it but i think for the most part we don't really cognizant of our own death but um what should our relationship be what would a healthy relationship with death be knowing that it is inevitable and that it is just a part of who we are
1: Mm -hmm. oh (laughs) i'm still discovering that matt you know I, i i'm i certainly would not dare to say what collectively our relationship with death should be. Um, I have some inklings of what seems to be helpful, one most basic of which is is to come to that recognition that we are mortal. Um, And we have invitations to come to that recognition every day. Um, if, If we choose to be paying deep enough attention, even if we're not watching somebody literally die, or if we haven't just lost a loved one, I think all around us every day, I mean, like right now here, I live on the prairies in in South Central Kansas. Um, It's a powerful, it's one of the most powerful vulnerable landscapes I've ever lived on. Um, And I've lived a lot of different places. It scared me at first, but I've grown to deeply love it. And I think in part because this landscape in a way, I don't know if I quite understand all the ways. I know I don't, but it seems to put death and birth and life really for me in my face all the time. Um, so right now, um, this time of year, it's getting dark so early. Um, we've moved through the passage of autumn and now it's cold you know i'm seeing the prairie grasses are dying back sometimes in the autumn they have these big prairie burns out in the tall grass prairie for the regeneration of the tall grass prairie whenever i see those fires it's just a vivid reminder of the cycles of death and life so just on our whatever landscape we live on i think we see signs of death all around us all the time if we're looking I think in our bodies we see signs of death and birth and life unfolding all the time. Um, I'm certainly not the first one to say this. I've, I've, I've heard many people talk about how just the cycle of the breath, the out breath Mm. in breath, the pauses in between can be a deep meditation on our mortality, our dying. Um, So I think just, Finding ways to remind ourselves, I too will die. I too will die. Um, I think I included it in the webinar, but there's a great story from the um, from the Hindu uh, from Hindu scriptures, um, and I won't get this right, and I need forgiveness from those who who can pronounce these names better, but. Um, I won't even try the names, but there there's two kind of sages talking and one sage asks the other, you know, what, what is the most wondrous thing? What is the most wondrous thing in this life? And this holy man, this sage says the most wondrous thing is that all these people can be walking around knowing that seeing that death happens all around them but believing that it won't happen to them. That is the most wondrous thing. That we can all be walking around, seeing that death happens, acknowledging that, but believing it won't happen to us. You know, there's that part of us that can live through a day just not even thinking about the fact that we're mortal. I find, and I I totally get what you were saying, Matt, that that can feel, at least at first, really morbid. There's stories of the old medieval monasteries, Christian monasteries, where I'm told they would go around at night and knock on the monk's doors, and you the monk would be awakened with this, <coughs> and would sit up and say, yes, and that the the fellow brother monk at the door would say, remember, you will die, <laughs> and then, and then would walk on to the next door and, remember, you will die. Wow. Uh, that's a pretty powerful thing to be awakened in the middle of the night with that message. I don't, I don't know. I I don't know what that would be like, but more and more, I am grateful for the really tangible reminders I get through my work, um, that I will die. And I find as that happens over time, it's just deepening this gratitude, appreciation for, for the gift of life. Um, the gift of a day, the treasure of a moment shared with somebody I love. And it also puts me in touch with my deep fears, my fears of death, which I have, my fears of losing the people I I love dearly. I have that fear. I just sent my son back to college after he came home for his first Thanksgiving break. He's a freshman in college, and he drove eight hours down the road through wintry conditions to go back to college. And you better believe I could get in touch with a very primal fear of, of him getting hurt or even killed out on winter roads. Yeah. Um, but I do find it as I sit with those fears and really tend to them and feel them and feel the grief of the losses I've known of friends and loved ones and the people I work with, I mean, I have to say lots of goodbyes in my work and I grieve them. And I cry and I, um, it breaks my heart. This work breaks my heart every day. I'm just amazed that as we let our hearts get broken, though, there's just this, (laughs) there's just this, uh, lack of a better word, eternal wellspring of love that just seems to be able to pour out of them. I didn't think I could love as much as I love. I didn't know humans could love so much. I don't know if that sounds strange or silly, but like, as I go about my work and I watch people, it's amazing to see how they love each other when faced with the reality of, of death. And when I see that, I think, oh my gosh, you know, how could our world be different if we could hold that awareness as we go about our, our ordinary days? How do we treat each other differently? Um, you know, the person, my you know, a coworker who kind of annoys me today. How might that shift if I just pause and just with compassion remember there will come a day where she and I will no longer be here? What a unique moment and encounter this is. So let's see what we can do with it. Stay again that curiosity. I don't know. I realize I'm kind of riffing off in directions here, Matt, that maybe you didn't intend with your question. but This
0: is what, exactly what I want. <laughs> this is wonderful. No, you are on point. You brought it back to curiosity, which is exactly what yeah, I hear death, from you.
1: Yeah, death. Uh, maybe maybe that's part of what's gotten me to, to really stay curious. Maybe death. I don't know what could get me more curious than that. Because from where I sit with someone on this side of the threshold of death, it it is mystery. And I do not presume, I don't presume to tell people. I mean, I I come out of a Christian tradition and background. Um, I've been deeply influenced by other traditions. And I've certainly heard a lot of theology around what the afterlife looks like, and I've heard sung a lot of hymns and heard a lot of people propose to know what that looks like on the other side of the threshold. But I, I don't, I don't know. And I don't, I'd say right now as a spiritual companion, spiritual director, I'm more concerned with, you know, what's happening right here, right now on this side. Yeah.
0: What are some ways that you find rest and sustain yourself? Uh, because your work is so heavy asks it asks so much of you and i'm and i'm hearing that you are you're finding that humans and i hear you are are capable of so much more love than you could have thought possible
1: uh
0: and it it just seems like that well is infinite and uh whether you you know, are, are mindful of it or not. How do you, how do you feel that well though? How do you keep yourself grounded and rooted and, and able to, to go on, you know, to carry on with this work?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, that's a great question, Matt. I I think we all need to find those things that to help us sustain and that nourish and feed, um, you know, that, that, self compassion is critical. I think I f- I seek to fill it in part, um, for me personally, what I've found is I-, I need practices in my life that are spacious. Um, so, you know, for 25, 30 years since I first encountered um Zen Buddhism and uh, Zazen sitting practice in college. I've, I've had some form of a, of a regular sitting practice. Um, I, I need that. I'm very, I tend to be very introverted by nature, but my work asks me to be very, quite extroverted in my functioning. So I try, I just need to begin each day with, I, I get up early before my household gets up and, um, I make sure I've got, you know, a good hour, hour and a half of quiet. Um, I make sure to include that throughout my day. I have pause points in my day here at work. I can close the door of my office and, and sit in quiet if I need to, if only for a couple minutes. Those are important. Um, being part of a faith community is important to me. I am still part of a traditional church, though I would say over time my faith, my spiritual community, has expanded to include to take some really varied forms, and to include people of different spiritual paths and people of no professed spiritual path, um, but they are part of my my community, whether that be a close circle of friends or, or Right now, for me, the, the Spiritual Directors International Coordinating Council is one of those really rich spiritual communities in my life. Um, so those are all pretty key for me. Spending time outside, I have to be out, and I do that in various ways, but I, I need time outside uh, in, in the natural world. And then periodically, I need to get out into true wilderness uh, because I I need that exposure, <laughs> that vulnerability that happens there. I know, you know, that you're, you're a fellow wilderness lover and traveler and, and you know what that means. It's, um, that does something deep for me. Yeah. I, I'm kind of reclaiming a part of my own Mennonite tradition. A term that I grew up with, um, in the Anabaptist tradition it's often used is, um, non-resistance, um, non-resistance to evil, to violence. It's part of the kind of the Mennonite pacifist peacemaking um, theology. And it comes out of a German word, gelassenheit or yieldedness, that uh, not only did the Anabaptists use, but people like Meister Eckhart uses that notion of gelassenheit or yieldedness, um, availability of spirit. And when I grew up hearing those words, they were more in terms of kind of very dogmatic, like um, being yielded to the will of God. I didn't know what that meant. I mean, I just sounded really heavy. Um, But I've come back to those now with the help of some other voices and traditions like like Buddhist practice and, and um, my connection to Buddhism have helped me reclaim some of those in my own spiritual practice. And I really, lately I, I really have been valuing this notion of, of living a more non-resistant, non-reactive, more yielded life to what is right here, right now. Um, that's a practice for me. And I think it takes varied forms, some of which I already mentioned. Um, but really, it's there, and I try to bring it into every encounter so that really any lived moment, you know, as we say, any lived moment can be a spiritual practice or a prayer. It just has to do with the attention and intention we bring to it. So I, I guess I'm trying to bring a greater yieldedness to life right now in my life, in my second half century. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, you are modeling it well. I love that word, yieldedness. I will have to meditate on it. You model it well, Eric. And you are, for me, you are the archetype of the spiritual companion. You are oh, that's who is living it all the time. And I look up to you. And uh, I am not just grateful for your work, but grateful to get to witness, bear witness to the work that you do and to be your friend and comrade at SDI. Is there anything is there anything you haven't shared or is on your heart um, right now that hasn't been said?
1: Hmm. Well, I just looked down at my desk. I have a a short prayer poem I wrote for our Thanksgiving service. I could read that to to close. Would that be okay?
0: Yes, it would be wonderful.
1: Okay. Well, the title of it is Deo Gratius, which is simply Latin for thanks be to God. Um, and this came to me as we were coming up on Thanksgiving, and I was just thinking about how gratitude has a place really in the fullness of life at all times. Um, and maybe especially it's a powerful, gratitude's a very powerful uh, impulse in the midst of painful moments. Deo Gratius. For the early morning when darkness is slow to leave and a candle flame reveals the persistence of light. Deo gratias. For the maple tree's feisty root pushing up through my sidewalk and all the messy forcefulness of life. Deo gratias. For the losses we must bear and the friends who will not let us carry the burden of grief alone. Deo gratias. For the one I want to name my enemy, and a mirror he may be to my own unholy words, my own shameful actions, Deo gratias. For the injury, the illness, the wound, and what these might teach us about receiving a neighbor's love, Deo gratias. For disappointed hopes and unfulfilled dreams and the doorways they become to new possibilities, Deo gratias. For the eventide of this day and of this life, when the mystery of all mysteries grows near and life glows most precious and full, Deo gratias. For this moment, for this uncommon moment, and for our common life, Deo gratias. Thanks be to God.
0: Eric Massonary, thank you for sharing this. Thank you for sharing this uncommon moment, this conversation of your very uncommon life. <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure to be a fellow pilgrim on the journey with you. I appreciate your your way of inviting conversation. You are a spiritual companion, friend. Mm.
0: If you liked this show and would like us to continue making them, please do subscribe now while it's fresh on your mind. Also, we would love to hear from you, so please feel free to send in your comments and suggestions to the email address podcast at sdiworld.org. To learn more about spiritual companionship and ways that you can plug in and join our community, visit us at our website at www.sdiworld.org. Thank you. Blessings and peace on your day. And may you share blessings and peace to others.